Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches a Thanksgiving message called, Thanks Be to God. Have you heard of the Auckland project that started in 2012? The Auckland project is a restoration project of the Auckland castle that is situated in Northern England and which dates back over 800 years. Restoration experts worked hard to uncover and preserve the treasures of the castle, which was built by the church of England and served as one of the homes of the Bishop of Northern counties. It is a vast and historically significant structure during the restoration they discovered many unexpected things. They peeled away hundreds of years of plaster of wallpaper, false walls, and much more. When they took down a more recent wall to reveal the original footprint of that part of the building, they discovered something quite unique. When the newer wall came down, they fall, they found a servery, a series of hatches that would have been used to pass food from the kitchen through to the dining room. And it was inscribed with a date of 18, or 1500 AD. They had no idea that it was there, but there was more. Ours also covered into the wood atop the servery was a Latin inscription, Esteo Grateus, which means the grace of God or thanks be to God. Every time guests looked toward the servery and saw food being passed through the hatch from the kitchen to the dining room, they were prompted to be thankful. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we engraved that phrase on the lintels of our minds? Wouldn't it be wonderful to recognize every blessing God sends? And as it comes our way to say, thanks be to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. And John MacArthur wrote a thankful heart is one of the primary identifying characteristics of a believer. It stands in stark contrast to pride, to selfishness and worry, and it helps fortify the believers trust in the Lord and reliance of his provision, even in the toughest times, no matter how choppy the seas become a believer's heart is buoyed by constant praise and gratefulness to the Lord. You and I ought to and must incorporate these four powerful words. Thanks be to God into the vocabulary of daily life, whatever the day may bring. Robert Morgan points out that this phrase, thanks be to God is used five times, at least five times by the apostle Paul in his new Testament epistles. And so in light of that, this morning, we're going to consider each of those, uh, passages where that phrase is found. And the first place we're going to go to this morning is Romans chapter six, verse 17. And if I were to summarize this first, I would say that Paul is telling us here to thanks be to God for setting us free from sin. Romans chapter six, verse 17 reads, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, 
You have been set free from sin. You've been set free from death, from hell and from condemnation. No work of God's is more beyond our comprehension yet closer to our heart and more worthy of gratitude than salvation. Before coming to know Christ, each of us lived in a self-imposed prison, guilty, condemned, spiritually blind, and with no means to pay our debt. Our destiny was one of eternal separation from God. But Christ not only rescued us from the power and penalty of our sins, he also lifted us to a place of blessing. He delivered us from punishment and brought glory. He took away the threat of hell and gave us the hope of heaven. He dismissed us from the divine wrath and brought upon us a divine benediction. Perhaps you remember the simple course, which expresses so well gratitude for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So rich and free. We sing of salvation. We talk of salvation. Salvation is the essence of Christianity. Thanking God for saving us should be the unceasing occupation of our lips. Only a stone cold heart could offer anything less. Another place where this phrase, thanks be to God is used is in Romans chapter seven, verse 25. And again, to summarize that verse, Paul is saying, thanks be to God for victory over temptation and sin. In Romans 7, Paul confessed his own struggle with temptation. And this is what he wrote. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then he goes on to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. If we are honest, we would have to admit that we can relate to these words by the apostle Paul. We desire to live for God and to please him. Yet at the same time, we experience a great pull towards sin. And as Paul says, I often do the very thing that I hate. And why is it? It is because our human nature has been contaminated by sin and therefore rendered ineffective in the war against evil. In many ways, we are often our own worst enemy. Our fallen nature has an appetite for sin and is always looking for its next meal. The English cuckoo bird never builds her own nest. She lays her egg in a different mother bird's nest when that bird is away. That mother bird when she returns to sit on her eggs, doesn't notice that there is an extra large egg in the nest. And eventually her little eggs and the big cuckoo egg all hatch. And when she leaves the nest to get a worm and comes back to feed her young, there are little mouths 
and there is one huge mouth. And who gets a worm? The big mouth. The cuckoo grows rapidly and then throws the little birds out of the nest. And guess who then gets all the food from the mother bird? The cuckoo bird has taken over and its appetite is insatiable. Isn't that a fitting description of the the dilemma you and I face? Despite our freedom in Christ, as followers of Jesus, we still struggle with sin. We have this insatiable appetite for sin. And if we keep satisfying that appetite with sin, it continues to grow. The Bible presents several different resources to aid us in our effort to overcome sin. In this lifetime, we will never be perfectly victorious over sin. But that should still be our goal with God's help. And by following the principles of his word, we can progressively overcome sin and become more and more like our savior, Jesus Christ. Well, one resource the Bible mentions in our effort to overcome sin is the Holy spirit. God has given us a Holy spirit so that we can be victorious in Christian living. God contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the deeds of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 to 25. And in that passage, we're called upon to walk in the spirit. All believers already possess the Holy spirit, but this passage tells us that we need to walk in the spirit yielding to his control. This means choosing to consistently follow the Holy spirit's promptings in our lives, rather than following the promptings of the flesh. The word of God is another resource we have at our disposal to overcome sin. The Bible says that God has given us his word to equip us for every good work. It teaches us how to live and what to believe. It reveals to us when we have chosen wrong paths. It helps us get back on the right path and it helps us to stay on that path. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and powerful, able to penetrate to our hearts to root out and overcome the deepest of our heart and attitude and uh, deepest sins of our heart and attitude. And so the Bible is a tool the spirit uses in our lives an essential, a major part of the armor of God that God gives to us to fight our spiritual battles. A third crucial resource in our battle against sin is prayer. Again, it is a resource that Christians often give lip service to, but make use poor use of how important is prayer to overcoming sin in our life. We have Christ's words to Peter as he was in the garden of Gethsemane just before Peter's denial. As Jesus prays, Peter is sleeping. Jesus wakes him and says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is not a magic formula. Prayer is simply acknowledging our own limitations and God's inexhaustible power and turning to him for that strength so that we can do what he wants us to do, not what we want to do. And then a fourth resource in our war to conquer sin is the church, the fellowship of other believers in the wisdom literature of the old Testament. We are told that as iron sharpens iron, So one man sharpens another. There is strength in numbers. Having another person who can talk with you, pray with you, encourage you, and even rebuke you can be of great value. They can offer the final dose of encouragement and motivation we need to overcome even the most stubborn of sins. 
Sometimes victory over sin comes quickly. Other times victory comes more slowly, but God has promised that as we make use of his resources, he will progressively bring about change in our lives. We can persevere in our efforts to overcome sin because we know that he is faithful to his promises. So therefore, thanks be to God for victory over sin. But this phrase, thanks be to God, is also used in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here Paul says, thanks be to God for victory over death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 57, we read, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God. Here's our phrase. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The grim reaper is perhaps the most recognizable figure of all time. The hooded skeleton with a sharp sickle in his bony hands has been the personification of death to all generations. And death is something many men and many women fear greatly. Try as we might, it is something you and I cannot escape. When death calls, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Death takes down the strong as well as the weak. One Friday in Jerusalem, death even took down the savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But unlike those who had gone before him, Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he broke the sickle of death. As he left the tomb, he overcame death and the grave. And what's more, he offers his victory over death to you and me today. Do you fear death? Do you block that ghastly thought out of your mind? Do you quickly change the subject if death comes up? Does the thought of death scare you to death? Did you know that if you are in Christ, you never really die? It's true. Jesus said that in John chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who, believe, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the apostle John says in John chapter 5, verse 24, that when a person receives Jesus, that person passes from death to life. Certainly Christians will experience a death of the body, but they never experience the death of the soul. You may recall in the preaching series a few weeks ago, reclaiming a passion for heaven. We noted that when a Christian dies, their soul goes immediately to be with Jesus. Paul said in second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see the sting of death is sin. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died for my sin. He took the sting for my sins. Because I have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, death has no power to sting me. Like a stinging scorpion that lost its stinger, death cannot harm the Christian. It is just a shadow of death that I face. Jesus already faced the real thing for me. And he has done that for you as well. But you must receive him to make his sacrifice personally effective. The Bible makes it clear that when Jesus returns, he calls his own to himself and he transforms our earthly bodies into glorified ones. The mortal puts on immortality. The perishable puts on the imperishable. 
Those who are dead in Christ are raised from the grave. And those who are alive in Christ, when he returns are caught up to the clouds and both groups will victoriously declare death. You couldn't hold me. You couldn't touch me. Where is your victory? It is swallowed up in Jesus Christ. In 1712, a preacher named Richard Stratton passed away. And at his memorial service, his friend Matthew Henry preached on the phrase, thanks be to God. He told the mourners, it is our duty in everything to give thanks. When we are burdened with a sense of guilt, we ought to say, thanks be to God. There is rest in Christ. When we mourn for our afflictions, we ought to say, but thanks be to God. These afflictions are designed to further us on our way to heaven. He continued, I and many others have lost a faithful friend, but thanks be to God. Our loss is his gain. Thanks be to God. He not only rests from his labors, but his works follow him. Thanks be to God for the good hope we have through grace. Make it a daily practice to thank God for giving his son for you on the cross. Thank Jesus for taking your, your sting so that death has no power over you. And when the subject of death is mentioned, fear not. The scorpion has lost its stinger. If you know Jesus, as we cultivate that grateful heart, our heart aches eventually become hallelujahs. But there's another occasion when the apostle Paul used the phrase, thanks be to God. And that is in second Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. And again, to summarize, I think Paul is saying here, thanks be to God for calling us to share the gospel. This is how second Corinthians two 14 reads, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The analogy of the triumphal procession, which Paul speaks of comes from the Roman empire. When victorious Roman generals would return to Rome in a victory parade. While the victorious general would celebrate the victory in this parade, following behind him were the spoil of spoils of war, captured animals that were to be sacrificed, and captives who were going to be executed. The prisoners of war were marching, were marched through the streets as fragrant perfumes filled the air. At the end of the parade, many of the captives were executed. Thus, the smell of the parade was sweet to the victors, and the smell of death to the defeated. The sacrifice of the animals and captives at the end of the parade was called the triumph. And the procession itself was intended to be an act of worship to the God whom the Roman general believed had granted the victory. So what is Paul saying in this analogy? I think Paul in using this analogy is telling the Corinthian believers that he is God's captive being led to death as a slave of Christ. And that fits what Paul already wrote to these Corinthians about who he and the apostles were. He had previously said, for I think that God has exhibited us as exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In other words, Paul is giving thanks that he is a captured slave of Jesus Christ. Why? Because through Paul and the apostles, the fragrance of the knowledge of God is being spread everywhere. His role as a slave of Jesus was to spread the knowledge of our Lord everywhere he went. 
And Paul spread the aroma of the gospel by preaching and by being, and by living a, a sacrifice, by being a living sacrifice to Christ. Paul's ministry with all of his suffering and distress had a purpose to be an aroma of Christ. The gospel message is a call for people to no longer be captives in sin, but captives to Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter six, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's the end eternal life. When we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, when we become a captive for Christ, a slave to him, when we give our life for the sake of the gospel, when we suffer affliction and hardship in the name of the Lord, it has a profound impact and effect upon people. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have been charged with the responsibility of sharing the good news of the gospel with those who do not yet know Jesus personally. But like Paul, in order for the fragrance of the gospel to spread from our lives, we must present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And when we do, we discover the joy of being his witnesses, the ambassadors, his messengers of his grace. And for that, we say, thanks be to God. But there is one other place where Paul uses the phrase, thanks be to God. And that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. He gives thanks to God for his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 reads, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This verse comes at the end of a prolonged passage about financial stewardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 exhort us to excel, excel in the grace of giving to give cheerfully and to remember how God is able to supply all of our needs. The concluding sentence, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift reminds us that our gifts for the Lord's work are simply reflections of the greatest gift ever given Jesus Christ himself, God's son and our savior. Paul got so caught up in the gift that he couldn't help, but praise God. When Paul writes of the indescribable gift, he uses a word which is not found elsewhere in the New Testament and is not found in any other Greek writing before his time. In other words, it appears that Paul created a word to describe God's gift to mankind. The word indescribable has been translated inexpressible, unspeakable, too wonderful for words, to put it another way, no words can adequately describe the gift of God's son. God's gift is beyond words. Jesus is a savior worth having. Jesus is a treasure beyond measure. No one like him graced the planet before and until he returns to set his foot on the Mount of Olives, no one will ever again. Paul declared that there is only one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Peter revered that there was no other name of salvation, that his was the only name by which we can be saved. He passionately proclaimed that Jesus was a Christ, the long awaited Messiah. Our savior, Jesus cannot be duplicated. He is irreplaceable. 
There is no substitute or alternative. This is wonderful news for you and me. Oftentimes, if given a multitude of options, we choose unwisely. We make the wrong choice. But here we find no margin for error. We can choose with confidence. For every person that needs deliverance from sin, Jesus. For every person who needs the pain of the past erased, Jesus. For those who need the weight of guilt lifted off of their shoulders, Jesus. For those who need the chains of bondage broken off of their lives, Jesus. Only he can step into your yesterdays and erase the regrets. He is the only one who sets free. He is a lamb for sinners slain. He is a cornerstone, precious and elect. He is the one who died in our place. He is the one who conquered the grave and transformed it into the gateway to glory. He has been given the name above every name. And at that, and at that name, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord over all. Jesus is a savior worth having. And to that we say, thanks be to God. That says it all, doesn't it? As I said at the outset, wouldn't it be great to engrave that phrase on the lintels of our mind? Wouldn't it be wonderful to recognize every blessing God sends and as it comes our way to say, thanks be to God. As Robert Morgan says, let's go through life with this phrase engraved on our minds. A grateful heart lifts our spirits, honors our savior, frustrates our enemy and magnifies our influence. Whatever you're going through today, take a deep breath, look to Jesus, count your blessings and say five times. Thanks be to God. After all, giving of thanks has nothing to do with my circumstances and everything to do with my God. We serve a great and mighty God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For numerous times, he exhorted us to give thanks, but where he himself declared, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for the rich gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we have been redeemed and cleansed from our sin through faith in him. But I do pray that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus personally, that they would inquire, that they would seek out, that they would come to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with him. Father, we say thank you for giving us victory over sin and temptation, that we do not need to live in, in a, a life of sin, but that we can be transformed by your power. And we say thanks be to God for victory over death. Father, we realize that there are many in this world who fear death. And yet we who know Christ do not need to fear in that way. And Father, we also say thank you. 
Thanks be to God for calling us to share the good news of the gospel. And so may our lives, through our lives, may the gospel spread as a sweet aroma, just drawing other people to our Savior. But above all this morning, Father, we say thank you for your indescribable gift, the gift of your son, Jesus, the Savior worth having, the treasure beyond measure, the one who loves us completely, the one who cares for us deeply, the one who can satisfy every longing of our heart. We say thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.